Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Ari Shapiro is the author of The Best Strangers in the World, Stories from a Life Spent Listening. Ari is the host of NPR's All Things Considered. He won the Edward R. Murrow Award for coverage of the Trump administration's asylum policies on the U.S.-Mexico border. 
The Columbia Journalism Review honored him with a laurel for his investigation into disability benefits for injured Americans. The American Bar Association awarded him the silver gavel for exposing the failures of Louisiana's detention system after Hurricane Katrina. And at age 23, Shapiro won the Daniel Shore Journalism Prize for an investigation of methamphetamine use and HIV transmission. He lives in Washington, D.C., and he is also the member of a band which we talk about in the episode. Welcome, Ari. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss the best strangers in the world stories from a life spent listening. It's an honor to be here. I'm so looking forward to talking with you. I feel like I could write a book called Stories from a Life Spent Listening. I think I might steal that at some point. (laughs) The great thing about listening is that it's something we all have the ability to do, and it can kind of be a superpower. And I actually think that the act of listening can change people's lives, and it's not a talent you have to be born with or study for years, like playing the piano or the violin. It's just something you can sort of pay attention to and focus on. It's true. Yeah. Everybody out there, get better at listening. Just (laughs) practice. (laughs) Take it from us. (laughs) Okay. Ari, tell listeners about your book. Why did you write this book? What's the book about? Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, friends often ask how I stay optimistic as a journalist given everything that's happening in the world today and everything that I chronicle on a daily basis on all things considered. And the answer that I give them is something that evolved into what's in the pages of this book. And so, yes, as you read the book, you'll go aboard Air Force One with the president of the United States. You will go into a war zone and meet vastly outnumbered fighters who are trying to defend a sacred temple against ISIS. You'll go backstage at the Hollywood Bowl before singing in front of thousands of people. But I think If the book has any impact, I hope what that impact is, is reminding people of all of the incredible humans in the world who are so much more like us than we might realize, and all of the good that those people are doing to sort of bed the arc of the universe in a direction of kind of hope and connection and empathy and goodness. I hope that doesn't sound too starry-eyed idealistic, but that's actually how I feel, even as a journalist covering the terrible things that happen in the world. I think it's even better coming from a journalist who has seen all the terrible things in the world. <laughs> and by the way, I went back, I've had the best time like preparing because all morning I've had your music in oh, on fun. my computer. Um, so I watched your Hollywood Bowl uh, performance <laughs> and I was like, this is so cool to know what he was thinking and then to watch. I mean, it's so neat. It was such a, well, I mean, I think performing at the Hollywood Bowl is a stretch for anyone in any circumstances. For me, it was the first time I'd ever sung with a band anywhere. And and it, it was not just any band. It was a band that I had idolized and been a huge fan of since I was in high school. Pink Martini is the name yeah. of the band. And so to be invited to sing with this group that I'd been obsessed with my whole life at the Hollywood Bowl of all places. And as I described, before you walk on stage, you see these big framed photographs of like Ella Fitzgerald and Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles and Judy Garland. And then you're literally walking in their footsteps to go out there on that stage. Yeah, I've never experienced anything like it. Amazing. For context, for people listening, not only is Ari on All Things Considered, but in his spare time, he tours with Pink Martini. And you have to go and Google this and like download some of the songs. My alter ego. Yeah, alter ego. Um, And I love how even you said that people at work, you didn't even tell them about it. And they were like, they would find it on the grainy clips and all that. Yeah, well, it felt like kind of like a betrayal of my journalistic ideals, you know, like, (laughs) 
I thought I was supposed to be this Walter Cronkite-esque figure who would be stern and stentorian and therefore taken seriously. And the voice in the back of my head said, well, if you sing with this band, if you like have fun in a visible public way, then you'll no longer be taken seriously. That was more than a decade ago. And fortunately, I've evolved somewhat since then. I now think it's really important to have fun. And demonstrating the importance of fun is one of the things that I hope I can do for people. Because if you take yourself too seriously, then what's the point? I love that. I went to Yale too, by the way. What singing group were you in? I was in mixed company. I had a feeling. Well, you had a feeling? I, I just had I, a feeling. Wow, my friend, I don't know. Wow. My, my I friend, don't know if I should take that as a compliment no, or a dig. <laughs> no. My really close friend, Rebecca Schrag, was in mixed company. Oh my God. I love know Rebecca her? Schrag. Yes. I just saw her at a reunion and actually she is coming to see. So another thing that I do, as you know, besides singing with Pink Martini is... I um, do a show with Alan Cumming and we're performing it at the Carlisle in mid-April for a couple of weeks and Rebecca is going to be there. So oh my gosh. I'm looking forward to seeing her. What Were you in a singing group as well? No, I was, but I was, she was, and I felt like everybody, I got to Amazing. college and I was like, wait, suddenly like being able to sing is, is the ticket to like being cool. <laughs> and this was before Glee, before American Idol, like before any of that. I'm like, all these guys that is in so wild. The dorm, like, trying out for Baker's Dozen and the Whiff and Poops. I'm like, oh, my God. And I remember this one. <laughs> did you know Matt Mazer at school? I don't know. I do anyway, not. he's like, what's going on? Like, mm-hmm. I can't sing. And now all my friends are in singing groups. And, like, who knew? You know, all these, you know, I thought it was athletics that I had to be good at. So. Somebody who was in mixed company with me became one of my best friends and is the reason I ultimately met Alan Cumming because my friend Ben Eakley was in Cabaret with Alan on Broadway for the second time. And it was when I went to see Ben and then went to visit him backstage that Ben introduced me to Alan. And then Alan and I, years later, created this fun, ridiculous, absurd show that we do. Oh my Which God. there's a whole chapter in the book about <laughs> featuring Cheetah Rivera. Yes. Sometimes I organize events for like the moms don't have time to whatever community or whatever. Yeah. We should do an outing and watch your thing at the Carlisle. It's only I would be away. thrilled. That would be okay, so I'm fun. To- I'm going to look it up and find out when it is. Okay. Now that I'm totally off track here in our conversation. Uh, <laughs> I should have asked how much this gets edited, but whatever. I'm along It doesn't get edited at all. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, listeners, for coming on this journey with us back into our college reminiscences. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Rebecca was like one of my best friends in high school, and then I knew her in college, obviously. Amazing. Of course. Okay. One of the chapters I loved was your writing about how you select fiction, what the role of fiction does for you, mm-hmm. what you read on your vacations, yeah. how you deal with your mom recommending books, <laughs> all that. <laughs> um, so talk about the power of fiction. So... First of all, I just have to shout out to my mom. She's a voracious reader. She has great taste. I never read anything she recommends, but for good reason, because like 95% of the reading that I do is for author interviews on All Things Considered. And if my mom is recommending something, it has already been published. And the only books I get to read are ones that have a pub date in the future. So that said, for me, fiction is the way I see the world through the eyes of somebody else. It's what I aspire to do through journalism that fiction, I think, does so effortlessly when it's written well. And so, you know, I just read the novel that Abraham Verghese has coming out in May called The Covenant of Water, which covers 70 years in one family in southern India. And it transported me there and helped me understand a way of life and a perspective on the world that I would never otherwise have access to. And 
you know, one of the fiction writers who I think about actually the most frequently is N.K. Jemisin, who writes in the fantasy science fiction genre, which is not one that I would otherwise gravitate towards. But I read her Broken Earth trilogy for an interview after she won the Hugo Award for the third year in a row for Best Novel for this trilogy. She was the first Black woman ever to win that award for Best Novel, and then the only person ever to win it three times in a row. And so I was interviewing her, and I asked about why she wanted to write about apocalypse or start this trilogy with the end of the world. And she said she was really interested in when we consider an apocalypse to have begun, because what so many people think of as apocalypse is the reality that others have been living in for a very long time already. That blew my mind. And I think about it all the time when I'm out in the world covering climate change, mass murders, racial justice protests, whatever the case may be. I think I hear the voice of N.K. Jemison talking about apocalypse. And in so many ways, I just think fiction helps me understand the world even better than I realize I'm kind of like dissing my own chosen profession here, better than the, the real life stories that I tell through journalism. Well, you said in the chapter too that, you know, losing a child or some one of these things that it just changes mm-hmm. your worldview forever, the fires that you were like dealing with at the time. Yeah. How, how is this just the norm? You know, how, and what does that do to you when you realize that? So I don't, I just loved it. Yeah, and the question is like, what do we even define as the norm? Right. You know, True. like, so that's, yeah, <laughs> that's what I, I just loved wanted about to, that. Um, if it's okay, I just want to read this paragraph you wrote at the end of the chapter. Can I tell you, this is the first time I've heard anyone else read from my book and I'm really excited. Really? Please. Oh my God. I, yeah, have so absolutely. Many, I have so many underlined, pa- oh. I can just do this the whole time. God, that's so exciting for me. Go I'll for do it. two passages then. Okay. okay. Uh, fiction serves as that reminder for me. Newsroom bosses sometimes treat author interviews as a treat or a diversion, a break from the daily work of chronicling the world's politicians and corporations. But for me, those conversations are not a novelty. They help us find a path leading out of the darkness. Despite what power structures may want us to believe, writers help me see that we are all walking together in the same long journey toward the light. I don't have to glance over my shoulder to make sure it's true. I can just look down at the page. Oh, I love that so much. (laughs) I love reading. I love that I get to do it for my job. And I love that I get to talk to authors about it. It's like one of the many privileges of hosting All Things Considered. Yeah. And I don't take it lightly. And I also really mean what I say about like, it's not dessert. It's not a treat. It's not an afterthought. It is as much the bricks and mortar of the structure we're building as anything else I do to mix several metaphors. That's okay. Mix them up. You also wrote about, I loved this line where I'm going to read the whole paragraph. It felt like a superpower, disability to move between worlds. And by the time I graduated from Yale and became a journalist, I realized that these boundary-crossing skills I had picked up as the Jewish kid in Fargo and as the gay teen in Portland could serve me as a reporter. I found a career where I could perform those acts of translation and be a liaison for groups to which I had no personal connection beyond my journalistic interest. My microphone and headset served as a snorkel and mask. When I strapped them on, I could enter colorful, hidden worlds that were invisible to people on the surface. And then came the important part, sharing those worlds with others. That is so good. You should have the whole like logo, like you should do the snorkel and mask as like your (laughs) signature sign or I don't know, something. It's so true though, whether I'm, you know, in coastal Senegal talking to people whose homes were being swallowed up by rising seas or at a bikers for Romney rally talking to guys with their Harleys, 
I found this job where I can go into places I would never otherwise have access to and ask people really personal questions, invite them to take me into their lives. And so often they do. And then I get to tell you about it. Like it's, it's a privilege that I don't take for granted. It's so cool. How do you pick books for All Things Considered? Well, the blessing and the curse is that I'm on a lot of publicists' mailing lists. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the really good ones, and I'm sure many publicists listen to this podcast, the really good book publicists are the ones who know what makes a book good for All Things Considered. And maybe even bonus points here know my taste because a book that I might choose to do is different from a book that Mary Louise Kelly or Elsa Chang or Juana Summers might choose to do. And so... There are so many books published in any given month. I try to get a range. I try to get books that I actually want to read because I read every book cover to cover before I interview the author. I, I can't believe that. That's amazing. I, I try it, to I do just, that too, but I can't. You know, I feel like if somebody's going to spend two, three years writing a book, the least I can do is spend a week or two reading it. And also, I want to be an informed interviewer, whether I'm preparing to interview a politician, in which case I'll read speeches they've given and interviews they've done recently, or interview a filmmaker and I'll watch the movie. Like if I'm interviewing an author, I want to read the book. Anyway, and so it's, it's an art, not a science. I try to keep a balance of fiction and nonfiction. I try to get, you know, books that sort of reflect the world as it is in all of its diversity and richness and uplift and heartbreak. And of course, if there are authors I love and they have a new book coming out, I, I think to myself, yes, absolutely. I want to do that. I do a podcast every day. And I used to, when I did one a week, I would read the whole book cover to cover every single time. And I was like, how could I possibly not read the whole thing? And now I figured out ways to read yeah. Quickly and I don't know. I want to have a whole sidebar conversation. I know. With we you should just talk about this you... another time. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. The secrets behind this line of work of, of sorts. But mind you, I like was so fascinated about your sweating, which seems ridiculous. <laughs> but I really have to hear about this. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
<laughs> you know, I wrote this chapter as sort of like a burst the bubble, release, like breath of fresh air, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> like there are all these stories about difficult in some cases, heartbreaking things. I wanted a chapter that was just sort of like fun, light, funny, take me down a couple notches. Every single person has asked about it. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's, no, 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 asked, no, 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 no. It's great. It's great. It's great. It's great. That was not a criticism. I think it's important, especially when you are in a position of high profile success to show the ways in which you actually struggle and to show the things that are difficult and to show that not everything is like an effortless slam dunk. And so the chapter about sweating is basically a chronicle of all of the times and places I have felt embarrassed, humiliated, it, fill in whatever phrase you want to use by just profusely sweating in the wrong time in the wrong place in front of very important, powerful people in moments when like, I'm supposed to be keeping it together, a voice of authority, a like suave performer on stage. And instead just like, I'm a melting snowman. I'm a popsicle <laughs> in the heat. I'm, and, and I want people who look at this book and think, ugh, you know, he has it so easy. I realize I recognize that I have so much privilege. I also want people to know that like sometimes there are humiliating moments and that's okay too, because that's a part of life. Yeah. Like when you hug Bono, maybe you'll be drenched. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, just thinking about it. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. You got to read the book for the full story listeners, but um, yeah, there's, there's an anecdote involving Bono. <laughs> I don't, I, I, by the way, I didn't take away from this book. And by the way, I did read your whole book cover to cover. Oh, thank so, you. you know, I, I, appreciate I did read that, yours, but okay. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't take away that you felt like you had life so easy at all. I mean, you, you detail like things you've overcome and I don't know. I, I just didn't, there was nothing about it that seemed glib and think, taking things for granted, um, especially in the really great way you write about coming out early at age 16. Your whole chapter on the Pulse nightclub was heartbreaking, but amazing. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that and just like what it, how it feels to you when gay clubs, which are like family, as you write about so beautifully, like get targeted and how you get over that and friends you knew from before. And, yeah. you know, that, that through line, um, even though you poke fun at so many things like your best friend, Rich and all of that, and <laughs> finally getting well, to marry him, which I loved. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, one of the things that I wanted to explore in the book was the way the stories I've told have shaped the person I am. And on the flip side of that, the way my identity shapes the stories I tell. Because I entered journalism at this time where the view from nowhere was put on a pedestal and the value of objectivity was above all. And I recognize that for Every story I tell, I, I bring my history and I bring my full self to it. And sometimes that's relevant and sometimes it's not. But particularly when it came to the Pulse nightclub shooting, which was a story I volunteered to go cover, I realized how much I brought to that story myself as the storyteller. And I had other colleagues who were there covering it as well, and they did a great job. But the fact that I had not only been to gay bars, but been to gay bars in Orlando and Spoiler alert, as I learned at the very end of my reporting in Orlando, I had actually been to Pulse and I had had this 
incredibly memorable night there and made these friendships, but the name of the bar had sort of like vanished in my mind. And by the time I went to cover the Pulse shooting, I thought, well, whatever that place was, I'm sure it had long since closed. And it was it was late in my week of reporting that I was interviewing the editor of the Free Gay Weekly paper. And I said, oh, I had you know, actually gone bar hopping in Orlando and made friends with these bartenders. And he asked what the name of the place was, and I didn't remember. And he asked me to describe the layout. And so I described what the place looked like. And he said, that was Pulse. And so suddenly these memories that I've been treasuring were like connected to this story that I was covering and, you know, as I say in the book, like any pretense of objectivity popped like a soap bubble. And I look back on those stories and I think they're some of the best work I've ever done, not despite my history and identity, but because of it. And I think that's important. Well, it's really beautiful. That chapter was really moving. Thanks. I also found it interesting that you brought up how you were a middle child and that your <laughs> your mom says like, oh, well, of course you end up like talking to millions of people so that they can listen every day because like none of us listen to you at home and we sent you to school with like eczema all over your face. <laughs> Which I did not think I was an ignored middle child. To be clear, at my grandmother's 90th birthday, when my mother, who is very funny, said, oh, and then there's my middle child, Ari, who was so ignored millions of people. He had to find a job where millions of people would listen to him every day. I, it like blew my mind. I thought, oh my God, does that explain my entire <laughs> career, my entire adult life? I don't know. I mean, you know, if you so, it worked know. out all right. Thanks, mom. <laughs> I love how you how you brought up the whole crazy dog, calm dog thing, which I think about all the time when my kids have tantrums, for instance, how like you have to be the calm person. Like if I tantrum when my kids tantrum, it just like makes them spiral more. And so mm-hmm. you have to like be in it, but you use that analogy as well. So talk a little bit uh, about that and the importance of like you saying, being the calm objective yeah. person. In so this I don't know scenario. if you remember the show, The Dog Whisperer. From yes, the of Earth. course. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, like, I don't know how many yeah. people watch this. This was before yes. everything was streaming. And yeah. one of the things he would do when there was a high strung dog was he would just bring in the calm dog. And yeah. no matter how yappy and barky and snarly the high-strung dog was, the calm dog would just exude chill energy. And eventually the crazy dog would chill out too. And I think we all have crazy dog moments and we all have calm dog moments. I tend to be more on the calm dog end of the spectrum. But the first time I went to record with Pink Martini in studio, which was before I performed with them live at the Hollywood Bowl, I was a full spun up crazy dog. (laughs) And one of the percussionists named Martin Zarzar, who's no longer with the band, but like he was my calm dog. And, you know, the fact that he was literally like keeping time might have had something to do with it. But it was also just in that moment, his personality gave me what I needed to come down from my crazy dog mania and like do what I needed to do. I think that's a very good reminder for all of us. Like yeah, when you're having your crazy dog moments to have a calm dog around. Mm-hmm. I feel like my husband is my calm dog. Totally. Somebody yeah. you can call, somebody yeah. you can just check in with, like, yeah. And they don't even have to do anything actively. Yeah. It's just yeah. their their presence. Yeah. yeah. I know. My husband's out of town and I'm like, I can feel myself falling off the rails with just a few days. And he doesn't even, you know, <laughs> why does this happen? 
In the book, you give advice to people to just start, right? If they want to start a a career in journalism or Mm -hmm. any of this, you just have to start. You just have to do it. So tell me more about that and what advice you have in general. Like how else can you help people? Especially people who are accustomed to operating at a high level. They want to do things well. And the way to get good at things is to start out by doing them poorly and just do them. And so I often tell beginning journalists, like, don't be precious about trying to create something award-winning. Just make things and keep making them. And like, focus, and this is going to sound crazy, but focus on quantity almost before quality, especially for people who, you know, take pride in the work they do. You can get so in your head as a perfectionist that if instead You are just like, I'm going to make one thing and then another and then another and then another and then another. The act of repetition will make you good at it. And of course, seek feedback and get assessments and critique and like, you know, do the work to improve. But don't get so in your head about trying to do it right that you don't do it at all. Like I go back and listen to my early stories and I cringe and (laughs) I think, oh, God, I would have done that so differently today. But that's a good thing, because if you're not growing and improving and learning and doing things better 20 years down the road than you were when you started, then you've been stagnant for 20 years. So, like, of course, there's a learning curve. Of course, there's improvement that shows you're doing it right. I actually, when I interviewed Danny Shapiro, she was saying the same thing because I loved her slow motion, her one of her first memoirs. And she was saying, she's like, you're always talking about my early work. Like, she's like, I'm I'm so much better now, you know? (laughs) Well, that's what I was terrified about with writing this book, because nobody goes back and listens to my early radio stories, but a book will sit on the shelf forever and be like the book that you wrote. (laughs) And so I was like, God, if I'm as bad a writer in my beginning career as an author, as I was a journalist in my beginning career as a journalist, I'm going to be really embarrassed by this book. (laughs) But I was like, you know, the fact that it's scary means I need to do it. The fact that I'm uncomfortable and it's unfamiliar means it's worth putting myself out there and trying. Well, also, I feel like, I mean, not that I know you so well, but it sounds, it's your voice in the book. Like, it's very clear that it's you writing, but it's, it's not like you're trying some you know, esoteric literary device. You, <laughs> you know, what I, mean? like, I feel like you're letting us get to know you on the page. So that also made it really fun to record the audiobook because after this long journey of like an unfamiliar place, when I sat down to record the audiobook, I thought like, oh, okay, this is something that's in my skill set. This is something I know how to do. Yeah. When I recorded my audiobook for my memoir, they were like, okay, we're going to allocate like two weeks for this. And I was like, no, 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 I just need like a day. And they're like, no, we're no. Gonna, I was like, no, no, no. Trust me. I'll be fast. And I was in and out in like a day, but it's really amazing. A day and a little bit. But anyway, what else is coming next? What, what do you have on the docket? Like, what can we look forward to? So obviously I'm hosting all things considered on a regular basis, though I'm taking a pause to promote this book in an 11 city tour, which I'm so excited about getting out into the world and meeting people where they are. I'm also doing this run of shows with Alan Cumming at the Cafe Carlisle. And then I regularly perform with Pink Martini. I do every New Year's Eve show and other scattered shows over the course of the year. Oh, I also have a course coming out with Wondrium, the online teaching platform that's about the power of storytelling. So, you know, I always try to keep using a variety of different muscle groups, so to speak. As I say in the book, the thing that I love about hosting All Things Considered is not any one piece of it. It's the, te- the the totality and range of things that I get to do. 
And I also apply that to my life beyond all things considered. So I really get joy from using my vacation days to go out and exercise my creativity in these other ways. So I'll continue doing that. So cool. And by the way, it was so genius on your social media. You have chapter descriptions in different posts. Like no one's done that. I was like, why has nobody done this? This is so brilliant. It randomly occurred to me to do that. And I looked at the calendar when it occurred to me, I thought, wait, how many weeks until my pub date? And it was literally 17 weeks until my pub date when I thought of it. And I have 16 chapters in an introduction. So I just thought, oh, starting now. And one thing that I'm very proud of is that I have managed to keep one single Twitter thread going with all so far 15 of those chapters. Wow. I was sure I was going to mess up and break it and do something <laughs> wrong, but so far, so good. <laughs> I'm scared of Twitter. I'm like, I'm just going to stay it away. It can be a scary place. Yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> um, Ari, thank you so much. This has been really fun. Thanks I for coming I have loved on. this conversation. Thank you for having me. Let's all hang out with Rebecca Schrag. Yes, I'm going to organize a thing for your I would love that. Let me Carla. know. Let me okay, know. Okay, I will. Okay. Okay. All right, bye. Thanks, bye. Thank you, bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.